If you're new to our congregation, welcome. My name is Rich. I'm the lead pastor here. If you're watching online, welcome as well. That is a wonderful segue into my message this morning as I'm going to be preaching about the songs that the song of the angels sang in Luke chapter 2. And so if you have your Bible, go with me there, Luke chapter 2. We've been on a series focusing on the various songs of the Savior through this Advent season. And we have touched on the song of Mary and the song of Zechariah. And now we're going to look at the song of the angels. And so beginning at verse number one, you can follow along with me on the screen. Hear the word of the Lord. It says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth and Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and he was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. He will, this will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying, and here's their song, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Let's pray together. Lord, as we look to this song of angels, my prayer is that this song would be our song, that, Lord, you would get glory and that peace would come. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. This past week, we had our annual staff Christmas party, and it's always a good time when we get together in this kind of venue. We always have food and competition, and, and then, of course, there's a time of karaoke singing. And every year, it's one of the highlights for me. You see... I love singing. I know I can't sing, but I love to sing anyhow. And over the course of my karaoke career, I've done many songs. I've done songs by Aerosmith and Lionel Richie and Bon Jovi and Ricky Martin and Belle Biv DeVoe. And um, I do birthday parties, bar mitzvahs, uh, weddings, you name it. One of the curious and funny things about karaoke singing is that even though the words are right in front of you, 
It's easy to mess up the lyrics. Even though the words are right in front of you, it's easy to mess up the flow of the song, to make up stuff that's not even part of the song. Now, I do that on a regular basis every week with whatever song I sing. Is anyone like that here, that you're singing and you forgot the word, but you're making it up as you go? Anyone like that in the house? Yeah, I, I know that's you. I know that's you. And, and not just you, that's all of us. You, this is how I know. Four years ago on this Sunday, I saw on Facebook, it gives you the memories of what happened. Four years ago, our projector went down for the first 20 minutes of our service. And so the music was playing, the band was leading us, but we did not know the words. And as I listened around, all of you were singing words to the song that were not part of the song. Me too. I was like, I, but I, it sounded nice and it was all over the place. We know how to mess up the lyrics. And as I thought about uh, this song today of the angels, I thought about this, this karaoke moment because it's interesting how this song differs from Mary's song and Zechariah's song. This song is shorter than Mary's song. This song is more memorable than Zechariah's song. And so it's easy to, to remember the lyrics, but here's the challenge of our lives. Even though we sing the lyrics right, we often live the lyrics wrong. We sing it right, but we live the lyrics wrong. And I want to show you how we do this. Where we can sing it from memory, this song, and yet it's not reflected in our lives. Before I get into the song, I want to give some context as to where this song emerges from. I want to preach out of the first few verses to help us understand the profundity of this song by the angels. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 1, when it begins, Luke begins with important words when he says, in those days. Now, I love that Luke begins with those three words, in those days, because he's letting us know that the story of the Messiah is not a fairy tale. The story of the Messiah is rooted in history. Luke doesn't begin by saying, uh, in a galaxy far, far away. Uh, Luke doesn't begin by saying, once upon a time, words that help us understand that this is not a real thing. Luke says, in those days which is to say that Christianity is rooted in history, not mythology. Christianity is rooted in that something has actually happened where there was a real place and uh, real people at a very real time. And in that real place of real people and a very real time, God came. That this is real history. He begins by saying, in those days. In those days, Mary and Joseph traveled a long distance and as the story goes, they could not find a place to stay. And soon after they arrived at Bethlehem, Mary would give birth to the baby. The baby, get this, you know this, but get it again, the baby who was God. Now we heard it so much that it's hard for us to really comprehend the magnitude of those words. That Mary gives birth to God. Mary gives birth to the Messiah. The God in whom the entire heavens and earth cannot contain comes through the birth canal of a woman. And if you think about that for more than five minutes, your brain might explode. 
because this is the scandal and this is the, uh, the miraculous message of Christianity, of Advent, of Christmas, that God comes in human form as a baby. God has come as fire. God has come as a cloud. God has come as wind. But here God comes in the person of Jesus Christ as a baby. And so the angels are about to come on the scene. Luke writes about this story. And he shifts in verse 7 to verse 8 from one scene to the next. Luke is a good storyteller. He's a good writer. He's a, he's a good director. And he wants to shift the attention of our of the reader to one scene to the next. He, in verse seven, he is he is he is capturing a scene in which there was probably a lot of uh, uh, noise and a lot of pain. I've been in the delivery room. This is not just like a library here. This is there's some there's some uh, some some noises and there's some loudness and there's some groaning and and then in verse seven he just cuts it immediately and goes from 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 screaming to stillness. He goes from a scene in which there someone is giving birth to shepherds in which it is quiet on a quiet night out in the fields. The baby has come. The Messiah has come. And Luke essentially says someone needs to hear about this. Joseph knows about the news, of course. Mary knows about the news, of course. But other people have to hear about this. And so the, the scene immediately shifts and takes us to a field in which shepherds are just doing their everyday thing. And as the shepherds are doing their everyday thing, God comes through the form of an angel to give them a message. The first people who God planned to hear this message were not found in the power structures of the temple. They were not found in the power structures of the political world. When God wants to give the message, he gives the message to a people who are overlooked, the shepherds. And I love that about God, that God has a way of revealing himself to people the world overlooks. To people who the world doesn't pay any attention to, God pays attention to them. And so here's good news. If you're feeling overlooked, if society has overlooked you, uh, God sees you and he comes to you. And so he comes to a people who are overlooked and he comes into a scene of an ordinary night. And those are the ways that God comes. He comes to those who are overlooked and he comes in the ordinary of our life experiences. He comes to these angels. In verse 9, the angel of the Lord appears... And it says that as the angel of the Lord appears to the shepherds, they are terrified. Which makes me think of the images of angels that we have in mind. Usually when we think about angels in our society, we often have an image that's associated with angels that they're they're nice and they're sweet, they're, they're, they're cute and they're squishy from time to time. And, and, and we think when an angel comes, they look something like this here. And, 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 but, that, but that doesn't terrify you. That's, that's like, look at the little angel, look at the little angel. That's, that, that, that's what that does when you see that there. But, but when the Bible talks about angels coming, they don't go, oh, look at the little angel. No, they go, ah, they scream. They're terrified. And I imagine how awesome these angels might look. 
The angel comes and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And the angel then says, do not be afraid. If you have to say, don't be afraid, you're afraid. <laughs> and over and over, every time an angel comes, the angel says, don't, I'm not here to kill you. Don't be afraid. And the angel says in verse 10, I have good news of great joy. For all people, God is here, the Messiah is here, and now the message has been delivered. And that's what angel means. The angel basically means messenger. An angel is a messenger. The angel delivers the message, but there's more to be done. The angel doesn't just leave at that moment after delivering the message. There's more to be done because the response, as we've been saying for the last few weeks, the response to good news is to say. This moment calls for song. And there's some, there's some moments in our lives that, that call for song, that call for singing. When your birthday comes and, and, and the day's about to end, it's, something doesn't feel right if someone doesn't just sing happy birthday to you. Why? Because there's something about song that carries a, a weight, it carries a, a, a power that when we sing, there's something that takes place. And anytime there is celebration, there, it is occasion for singing. This is why when, when Rosie and I got married and, and there was a song and I, and, and I started just uh, singing. That's, that's me. I, I, I started singing. Actually, I was, I was lip syncing there. Um, my my brother-in-law was a really good singer. He was singing. And, and, and uh, Stevie Wonders, you and I. And remember that, baby? And, 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 and I just started singing there because it, it called. Even though I wasn't singing, I was singing in my heart. Okay? And, and, and this moment called for celebration. It called for song. The angel delivers the message, but the angel's like, I, we got to sing. I, I, and he calls the choir. And all of a sudden, the choir comes, and they're about to sing a song. And I love that the choir comes. I love that the entire sky is filled with the host of God's angels. And it's important to note how this singing is different from the other songs that we've heard. When Mary sings her song, she's probably singing it in the presence of Elizabeth, a very intimate moment. Her song goes up to God. When Zechariah sings, as we saw last week, he sings with his family around, some friends around. But when the angels sing, it's almost as if to say there's a song to sing when, when you're with your family and there's a song to sing when you're with a friend. But there's a, also a cosmic song that needs to be sung. And the angel sings. When the angels come out, they're essentially saying that, that the good news is not good news just for you individually. The good news is good news for the entire cosmos, the entire created order, the entire earth. And the angels come out and sing. And what do they sing? It's actually a very simple song. And if I could break down their song in two phrases... It'd be this. They sing glory to God and peace to us. It's a simple song. Glory to God and peace to us. And these two phrases are connected. That is to say that if you get the first part right, you'll get the second part right. But if you don't get the first part right, you'll never get the second part right. If you don't get glory to God right, peace ain't coming to you. But if you do get glory to God right, 
peace will come. And so I want to talk about how interconnected these two phrases are and how often we know the lyrics, but we often don't live the lyrics. It's easy to sing it, but it's hard to live it. Because instead of singing glory to God, we often live glory to me. Instead of living glory to God, we often live glory to us. And whenever we get the glory part wrong, we'll get the peace part wrong. And so the angels say glory to God. I love the word glory. The word glory in Hebrew is kabod. And the word glory in Greek is, is doxa. And it's, it's two words that come up in the, in the Bible over and over again. And, and those words mean that the word glory, it's, it's something that is weighty. It's something that is of, of substance. It's something that is of significance. It is, it is grand. It is, it is great. It is heavy. Whenever you see the word glory, those are the words that describe what glory is. Heavy, not in terms of pounds, not in terms of uh, literal weight, but in terms of a a heaviness, a fullness, a significance, a grandness, a, a weightiness. And we know what it's like on some level to see glorious things. When you see someone sing a song and there's a heaviness to it in a good way. That the room is filled with now a kind of transcendent power. We go, that was glorious. It was weighty. It was heavy. It was significant. We know about glory. And whenever glory comes, the, the human tendency is to give it now away. We give glory away. We attribute glory to something else when we see it. Which is why uh, we were made to be people who live in glory. Which is why whenever you experience something that feels transcendent, whenever you see a singer that just blows you away, whenever you see an athlete that just does things that you cannot fathom, whenever you see a musician that plays in a certain way, Something happens inside of us. If you look at my YouTube history, you'll see all the, the, the songs and the athletic sports that I've seen that, that I, 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 my, something is coming out of me. I am attributing glory to something that I cannot do. It's heavy. It's weighty. It's significant. But then here comes the problem and challenge with our lives. The challenge with our lives is we often give glory, but then the glory often turns inward. In which there is, and here's the phrase, there is a debilitating preoccupation with ourselves. That's an important phrase. A debilitating preoccupation with ourselves. C.S. Lewis, when he would, he would talk about what it means to be in love, he would say to be in love is to have a, a delightful preoccupation with another. But, but when we're living in glory in this self-centered way, it becomes a debilitating preoccupation with ourselves. That instead of giving glory to God, very subtly and imperceptibly, the glory is turned inward. And when the glory is turned inward where there is this debilitating preoccupation with ourselves, you could be sure there's no peace. 
We were made to give glory to God. It's the Westminster Confession of 300, 400 years ago that when the catechism, when they would train people in the, the, the important aspects of faith, they would have this question and answer, and they would say, what is the chief end of, of man, the chief end of humanity? And the answer is, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. This is how we were made to live, to, to glorify God and to enjoy God forever, and yet this is not the story that we are given in our society. This is not the story that we often live. When you listen to music, when you observe social media, the glory direction is often not put up towards God. It, it's, it's pointed in this way. I was listening to Lady Gaga the other day. That's right. And, uh, and her old song just talks about how glory gets turned inward. And, and you know this song. Don't sing it with me right now. But, uh, you know, I, I live for the applause. Applause, applause. I live for the applause, applause, live for the... Uh, and, uh, and she live... You know, don't act all holy on me. Uh, live for the way... That you cheer and scream for me, the applause, the applause, the applause. What's happening here? She's saying, see me, validate me. And all of a sudden, when there, when there is now this debilitating preoccupation with ourselves, we get here crushed under the weight of glory. Again, glory is weighty, it's heavy. And whenever it's so turned in on ourselves, we get crushed by it. And in very subtle, insidious, imperceptible ways, we live with this debilitating preoccupation with ourselves. Where there is an obsession often for some of us with our appearance. An obsession with our achievements. An obsession with the approval of others and needing the approval of others. And this is an ongoing struggle where, where we live in a social media saturated age in which we are constantly pointing inward, constantly saying, look in this direction, longing for a significance, a weightiness, a, a way of living in the world that has meaning and yet we are crushed by it. There was a recent study by a journal called Psychological Science that looked specifically at the psychology of likes on social media and the impact that it has in our world. And one of the excerpts from this journal article said these words that scientists at the University of California, Los Angeles, found that when teenagers see large numbers of likes on their own photos or the photos of their peers, their brain reacted in the same way they would when eating chocolate or winning money. And if you know what eating chocolate does to your brain, it, 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 it reaches the part of the brain where uh, addictions form and such, and, and all of a sudden you need more and you need more and you need more, and the need for glory crushes us. The need to be seen crushes us. Which is why when it's often easier to get bad comments on your social media stuff than to get no comments. Because at least if you give me some negative comments, at least you see me. At least I exist. But if there's no one who's commenting or liking, do I even exist? 
Do you see me? And so we are now under the burden of needing glory, being recognized, being seen as someone who is significant, and we find ourselves in deep trouble. This is why when Jesus teaches us to pray, the first request that Jesus teaches us to offer to God is not a request about our needs. It's a request about God's glory. He teaches us to pray, our Father in heaven, and then here it is, hallowed be your name. In other words, God, may your glory, may your sacredness, may your name be the thing that's most treasured in my life. May your glory go before anything else. Now, if we were writing the prayer, we wouldn't start there. We, we need, we'd probably need to start, our Father in heaven, give me this day my daily bread. That's, let's go straight to it, Lord. Let's just get right to the... But, but Jesus says, no, if you get the glory right, you'll get the rest of it right. But if you miss the first petition, you're going to get everything else wrong. And when Jesus gives this prayer to his disciples, he does it in a context in which everyone was fixated with a debilitating preoccupation with themselves. He writes to a religious culture in which people would pray on Queens Boulevard to be seen by others. And Jesus says, when you pray, don't do that. Go into your closet, your prayer closet, not to be seen by others, and pray this prayer. Even 2,000 years ago, from the, from the beginning of human history, we've had this debilitating preoccupation with ourselves. And it comes up Subtly and insidiously. In 2013, the word selfie was introduced to our world. There's 17 million uh, photos a, a day, selfies a day. Uh, and for those of you that want, it's just a picture of yourself <laughs> taken by yourself. And... <laughs> And I'm not here to condemn the selfies, okay? Uh, I, I, last night I took one myself. I was just, I was just, uh, I went to the barber shop and I was just after, boom, you know? Uh, um, uh, I'm not here to judge, I'm not here to judge, I'm not here to judge, but it's a good picture too. Uh, um, but what this, okay, you can take it down. Uh, and then, uh, and, uh, <laughs> so take all the selfies you want, but what psychologists are also and sociologists are seeing is that there is this uh, selfie syndrome that is manifesting our societal narcissism in which our world is so self-oriented. And that's essentially what sin is. St. Augustine said, sin is to be curved in on oneself. When we, when we are living in right relationship with God, our eyes are on God. When, when we are now in this debilitating preoccupation with ourselves, that's what in Curvitasen say. And so this is, it's, it is, I'm curved in on myself. And our lives, whenever we're curved in on ourselves... We cannot receive the peace. Let me come back to this angel song. The angel says, glory to God. When you get glory right, peace comes. But when you don't get glory right, peace will not come. When our number one goal in life is to be successful, we will work ungodly hours 
and use people so that we can be seen as a success. And if we're working all kinds of crazy hours and using people, that's not peace. If our lives are lived for the approval of others, for you to let me know that I'm okay, and that you see me and that I am somebody, and our entire lives are lived in that way, we, we end up living like the mythological character Sisyphus who took the, the rock up off the hill and he, when he got to the top, it rolled back down. And, and every single day we're looking for more approval and, and tell me I'm okay and, and do you see me? And when our entire lives are lived for the approval of people, that's not peace. When entire nations are after glory, when entire nations are about saying how great we are, and fixated with our greatness. We have a way now of exploiting other people and taking advantage of other nations so that we can be great at someone else's expense. And whenever nations or corporations or individuals are being great and glorious at the expense of other people, that's not peace. That's a fake peace. That's a false peace. That's a demonic peace. And so whenever, whenever glory is put in this way, it's hard to live in the peace of God. This is why it was Mother Teresa who said, and I, and I come back to this quote, that God does not require that we be successful, great, glorious. All that God requires is that we be faithful. And as we're, let God take care of the glory stuff. But we're called to live faithful lives. And so the angels say, glory to God, peace on earth. If the glory goes up, the peace will come down. And yet, we often miss it. I love the word peace. And as you hear this message here, I imagine that many of you, in some area of your life, you're longing for peace. This past week, I met with a number of congregants and some leaders in different settings, and I was struck by the various areas of peace that people are longing for. Peace in their relationships with their children. Peace in their relationship with their spouse. Peace with themselves. Peace with their past. Peace in their workplace. There's just all kinds of experiences where we do not have peace. And so when the angel says, peace on earth, the angel is saying two things. Number one, the angel is saying, uh, that, that when God sends peace, this peace can coexist in a life and in a world filled with pain. In other words, God doesn't wait until our pain subsides to give us peace. God's peace is so powerful that it can become a reality even in a world of pain. And that's good news. Some of us are saying, I can't wait till this pain is over so that God's peace can come. And God says, no, I'll give you peace right now in the midst of your pain. And that's what God wants to give us. Amen. That's the peace that God gives. And so when the angel says peace, the angel knows there was still not peace in the world. The angel knows that Herod is going to do something, uh, uh, some atrocity in a couple of chapters. And yet he still declares peace on earth. And so peace on earth really is a declarative statement. It's a declaration and it's an invitation. It's a declaration because the angel's saying, there is coming a day 
where God's peace will rule and reign, where every demon, every power, every principality, every moment of anxiety, every moment of fear will just dissipate because God's peace is coming. And that's good news for all of us here. There's a day where God's, his shalom, his wholeness, his completeness, it's coming. And so when the angel says peace, it's a declarative statement. And I want to declare that over you today. In your own anxiety, in your own fear, in your own disruption, in your own brokenness, let me be the messenger. Let me be the angel who says peace is coming to you. That whatever you're feeling right now, whatever you're at right now, uh, that, that doesn't have the last word. God's peace has the last word in your life. Depression doesn't have the last word in your life. Uh, let, let me stay here. De depression doesn't have the last word in your life. Uh, despair doesn't have the last word in your life. Hopelessness does not have the last word in your life. Addictions doesn't have the last word in your life. Uh, resentment doesn't have the last word in your life. Broken relationships does not have the last word in your life. God has the last word in your life. And I want to proclaim peace over you today. Peace in the name of Jesus. That peace is coming. It's a declaration. But peace is also an invitation. I want to end with this and then we'll sing. When the angel says peace on earth, there's a typical translation that we associate these words with. And the translation that comes up is essentially peace on earth. And then the phrase then is put on the screen for me. It's, it's goodwill toward men. That's the King James translation. But many scholars have agreed that that's not really the right translation of that verse, that it really should be an on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And here's the image. God's peace goes out to everyone. But how is it that everyone doesn't receive it? How is it that everyone doesn't live with it? And what that verse does, which is more accurate to the original languages, is God's earth, uh, his glory and his peace goes out to the entire earth. But to those on whom his favor rests, that's who receives it. Now, you might be wondering, how, how do I curry his favor? How do I become a person who's favored by God? And here's the very simple answer that the angels give us. If you want peace... It, you have to recognize that it only comes through the Messiah. If you want peace, it comes from one source only. It comes from Jesus Christ. You, you want, you want a, a raise is not going to give you peace. A new job isn't going to give you peace. Uh, a, a, a new house isn't going to give you peace. A new car is not going to give you peace. I, I, I know it's like to get a new car, and then uh, someone's going to scratch it. Oh, no, that's not peace. And, 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 and a new pair of shoes ain't going to give you peace. And, and, uh, and only Jesus Christ can give us peace. And so who are the people on whom God's favor rests? Those who say yes to Jesus Christ becomes, become the people who now can receive it. It goes out. But not everyone receives it. 
But God says, if you say yes to my son, this is what the angels are saying. If you say yes to the Messiah who's coming, peace awaits you. The invitation of Advent is to be people who wait for God, people who look to God. That's what we're, when we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, we're looking to God. Our eyes are fixated on God, not fixated on ourselves. Our eyes are fixated on his glory, not fixated on our glory. And when, when this happens, God's peace comes, and then we become like the angels. The task of our lives is not just to revel in God's peace, but to be people who bring peace. And how do you know that the peace of God is flowing through you? Not that you just feel it, but that you bring it. That you become a person of peace wherever you go. In your workplace, on Facebook, in your neighborhood, you become a person of peace. And as we offer peace, like the angels did, all of a sudden we're a little bit closer to experiencing what the world will be like when Jesus Christ fully and finally reigns. Let's pray together. As you're still with your eyes closed for a moment, have you been preoccupied with yourself in a debilitating way? Preoccupied with your name, your significance, how grand you are, whether others see you or not. Have you been forfeiting the peace that only God can give? And the invitation for us is to sing the song of the angels. Glory to God and the highest. And when we get that right, the peace part falls right into line. Lord Jesus, we confess that we have often been so fixated on ourselves that we have forgotten to look to you and to attribute to you the full weightiness of your name, the glory that's due to you. And Lord, in the process, we've been crushed, crushed under the weight of longing for glory. But Lord, you can lift that weight off of us. As we look to your son Jesus today, free us, grant us peace, and may we offer you glory, the glory that's due your name. We sing to you now words of praise, offering you glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said, let's all stand and let's sing together.
Yes, Lord. Hallelujah. The goal of the Christian life is to not just sing the lyrics, but to live the lyrics. And as our eyes are fixed on Jesus, offering him glory that's due his name, the peace that we so yearn for, God says, I'll give it to you. I want to invite our prayer team to come to my left. Invite those offering the bread and the cup to come to my right. When we take communion, when we take the bread and the cup, we are confessing something very important about Christian faith. We're confessing that peace and pain are not mutually exclusive. That, that peace and pain coexist. That it's possible for it. And when we take the bread and we dip it in the cup, this is the moment of the greatest pain imaginable for uh, the world has ever seen. And yet in this act of great sacrificial pain, peace comes. We get peace with God. We position ourselves to get the peace of God because of what Jesus Christ has done. And so when we take bread and we dip it in a cup, we're holding together the paradox and the seeming contradiction of human existence that says it is possible that in the midst of your pain, God's peace can come. And so for those who receive, who come forward at the end of our service to receive it, hold on and offer your pain to God and say, Lord, as I take this bread and this cup, would your peace come? And so... For those who want to receive the bread and the cup, that the table will be open. And then we'll have our prayer team to my left. And I imagine that in a room this size, there are many of you experiencing anxiety, fear about the future, a lack of wholeness, brokenness, pain. And we want to pray for you because one of the ways that we receive peace is by praying for one another. That there is a unique expression of God's power when we pray for one another. And so if you're sensing a heaviness, if you're broken, we want to pray for you. And there's some in this room, maybe you've never said yes to Jesus Christ. You've never given glory to God in that way to say, I want to receive your love. Rescue me, forgive me. It makes sense why you would not feel peace at the deepest part of your soul. So if you're sensing God calling your name today, you can pray right where you're at and we can come forward when our prayer team would love to pray for you as well. And just say, Lord, I want to receive your love and your grace and your salvation and your forgiveness. And in that moment, God has a way of transforming our hearts and setting us on a new journey. And so whether you come up for prayer, whether you come for the Lord's table as the Lord leads you, Feel free to respond. But as we close, I want to invite you to offer, open your hands in this way. If you're watching online, you can open your hands. If you're new to our congregation, we end every service like this because this is a posture of receiving. And we position ourselves to receive so that we can now give to the world around us. And so with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving, brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you.
make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit, giving glory to God and receiving the peace from our Lord. And may you offer that peace to the world around you, wherever you go this week. I bless you all in the strong, in the beautiful, in the glorious name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, Amen. grace and peace to you all.